This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's down the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Another week, another podcast, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. My name's Matt Bagley. Justin Hopkins is with me on the other side of the internet, zooming across the state, getting this to you right now. And I'm really surprised. I I think back to mid-March when the NCAA tournament gets canceled, and the NBA and Major League Baseball get suspended, and the spring game gets canceled, and essentially the sky is falling because we don't know when we're going to have sports back. And the instinct in my job, sports radio, the headline game, was to say that we're not going to have any headlines for two months. And uh, here I am today on the 21st of May, 2020. Justin, I feel like we could talk an hour about everything going on in Duckland. There's not a day that goes by without news right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, is it is it different? Sure, we didn't get to finish basketball. You know, obviously both men's and women's were going to be in the NCAA tournament. That was going to be great. Uh, you know, we're, we're people were excited about baseball. Softball was definitely trending upwards, as we talked about very early in the season there. I mean, just a lot of excitement. And then, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw, but last night, you know, there were some renderings, some photos, some videos of, of the new Hayward track and field, uh, you know, being shown and got people excited yeah. because I know, tra- you know, track and field super big in Eugene and I know people follow it and, you know, that was pretty exciting. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's still stuff going on. All that aside, you know, Mario Cristobal doing some recruiting, you know, I know folks are definitely staying busy, keeping an eye on the COVID-19 news and how that'll impact football. Um, or practice or all of those things. I mean, that seems to be a, a daily discussion at this point. But um, I guess it beats the alternative, which is having absolutely nothing to do, which is what it sort of felt like there for a little bit. But, uh, you know, UFC had three events last week, and that was that was nice, kind of a little break. And then NASCAR was on Sunday, and there was some golf and stuff. So um, I, I guess, uh, you know, the way I say it and the way I've seen it said is, you know, we're getting – closer to normal but won't fully return back to normal but i'll i'll take what i can get at this point yeah yeah a lot of headlines to get to um i i I mentioned in my job sports radio i tend to pull from the headlines and and use those to know what i'm going to talk about every day yesterday the headline undoubtedly was luke hill and I want to give you the floor to talk about this because you know the issue better than anybody. Uh, but the theme that I hit on last night on my show, this isn't a bad thing for Oregon, right? Right. It, it's not. It, it's, uh, you know, to the casual fan or somebody that just reads a headline on, on you know, on Yahoo or USA Today or something like that, you know, it looks like maybe a bit of a, of a black eye, if you will. For Oregon, just on face value alone, there. But 
if you dig deeper into it and you take a look at it, um, you, you know, Luke Hill really hasn't been a part of this class uh, essentially since February. And the reason for that is, you know, <laughs> Luke Hill is obviously a cornerback. And at the time, Dante Williams was on staff and recruited Luke Hill, um, you know, got him committed and, and all that. And everybody's pretty excited. But after Dante Williams left, Mario Cristobal, and then soon after Rod Chance started doing some some uh, digging here, you know, trying to – because here's what happens. Even if a, a, a player signs his agreement to play football, you know, on a scholarship wherever, at Oregon or whatever, there's so much more work still to be done. You've got you've to check on transcripts. You've got to make sure guys are making grades. I mean, the process doesn't just end there. Um, you know, I guess that is the quote-unquote finish line, but it's not done. So at that particular moment, you know, Mario Cristobal and, and Rod Chance and, and, and Thomas Lorenz and the rest of the group, you know, we're doing a little bit more digging here. And, you know, I know back in, in February, uh, you know, they were – at least made aware of some character concerns, which, you, you know, I've written the word character concerns for some time. Obviously, attempted murder is more than character concerns, but at least I was trying to put it mildly. Right. Um, as to the the fact that there were some red flags with this young man, I know for several months now he hasn't been allowed on his high school campus. Um, you know, his coach uh, at that time, his high school coach, had, had banned him from – any related activities to the football team or sports just because of some things that had come up. There was obviously the discussion about uh, he was at the Polynesian Bowl in January in Hawaii, and there may have been an incident or two there as well. Oregon was pretty well aware here for some time that there was a lot of red flags and that they weren't going to be able to bring Luke Hill in. He wasn't given the, the admissions paperwork. He wasn't given a lot of the other paperwork to get him into Oregon and signed and done. He knew he wasn't going to be a part of this class in the end. So um, again, to the casual fan reads the headline, Oregon, you know, Oregon player arrest or whatever. Well, here's the reality. The headline should have read one time Oregon commit, you know, arrested for blah, blah, blah. And I, I think, uh, I think Mike Farrell of rivals, you know, really encapsulated that best. This was not an Oregon football player. I guess in all technicalities, he was an Oregon signee. But again, you know, here we are in May and, and Oregon and Luke Hill have basically known for at least two to three months now that the two were not going to be coming together. So, um, again, an immediate black guy. And we both know in the in the wicked game of recruiting that, of course, uh, you know, USC, Washington, the guys that Oregon's uh, kicking the asses of on the recruiting trail will use this against Oregon. But I would imagine that in less than a week, it will almost be a forgotten matter because that's just kind of how the news world is today. Yeah, I'd, I'd guess that this is going to be used in the negative recruiting, like you're saying. Washington and USC, they're going to point and say, you know, look at the malcontents that Mario's bringing to Eugene. But I, I kind of spun it this way last night. Maybe a Duck team 15 or 20 years ago would put up with stuff like that. Uh, obviously not the, the felony charges, but the, the rumors about the Polynesian Bowl and some of the off-field concerns before the felony charges, maybe they would have put up with that because they needed to. But this roster, it's it's so deep now. And and when Mario talks about you know adding talent to this program, I don't think that's fluff. I think he's really done it. 
I think they were in a situation where they could cut bait without worrying. Yeah, well, and they knew they had to. I mean, there was just so many. It'd be one thing, you know, you could take a flyer on. And you, I guess that's what people forget. I mean, they're if you just go, and this doesn't apply, this this gets into some other stuff, but if you go look at college football, not just Oregon recruiting, if you go look at college football and you start looking at the areas that a lot of these young men are being recruit at, recruited out of, there's some tough areas. I mean, we're talking about kids in SoCal, right. you know, coming out of Compton, or there's kids, uh, you know, uh, coming out of Baltimore, uh, coming out of Maryland back there, that those are some really tough areas as well. You've got young men coming out of Chicago, New York, um, there's some areas in Florida that aren't aren't the best as well. There's, there's areas all over. And let's face it, there's a lot of tremendous athletes in those areas. And as a coach, as a head coach, as a recruiting coach, you are put in a lot of situations where you're really having to analyze some of these young men. I don't want to I don't want to generalize and say that every college football player comes from this, but there are a very good amount that come from some tough upbringing and come from some tough surroundings. And at the end of the day, you, me, everybody, we're talking about 16, 17, 18-year-old, uh, not even young men at that point. They're still kids, let's face it. And, you know, you're going to be put in situations. You're going to have an environment around you that doesn't promote safety. You've got all these different things going on, and you're really just trying to navigate life and, and probably want to play football. What I bring it back to as a coach, you've got to kind of weigh, hey, is this kid a good egg in a bad environment? Is this kid a bad egg in a bad environment? You know, hey, maybe he did get has one strike against him, but it looks like he's he's made the right choices since and has corrected himself. You just don't know. You you just you really have no idea until you dig and dig and dig. And I mean, there's there's young men that get re, get get arrested or or uh, you know all over. And, to, and not just in Oregon, all over, and it happens. And and that's going to be a byproduct of, you know, it's just going to be a byproduct of recruiting, and it's tough. And I think Mario Cristobal, you know, basically drew the line and said, hey, look, you know, you know, feel for the kid, love to have him, but there's just too many red flags here. We're not going to be able to move forward. And I, I think you have a bit of a unique situation in the fact that, you know, his lead recruiter, his primary guy, Dante Williams, recruit nationally, you know, it's not Mario Cristobal that's going to check on him at high school three or four or five times a year. It's Dante right. Williams. Right. So, you know, as a head coach, you really can only trust that your position coaches, your coordinators are doing their due diligence. And I'm not sitting here trying to say it's all Dante Williams fault. You know, Dante Williams definitely is a great recruiter, um, you know, parlayed that into his, his contract with USC and making more money. And that's the name of the game. But you have to circle back. All of the work that led up to February was largely on Dante Williams' shoulders. It's his job to go and do the background checks. Ultimately, yes, Mario Cristobal does have to assume some of the blame for that. He's the head coach. It does fall on him. But, again, that's where you've got to trust your hiring process and make sure that you've mentioned it to your assistant coaches, position coaches, whatever. Hey, look, you know, be diligent. Make sure you're looking at these guys. You know, bring any red flags to me. Let's go over it. And, and I'm not sure if that was or wasn't done. It certainly seems like there was some miscommunication on that because really, ultimately, Oregon didn't start finding out stuff until after Dante Williams left for USC and had to do some digging of its own uh, into Luke Hill. So, uh, again, I, I just, like you said, I, I do applaud him for kind of having to draw a line in the sand here a little bit, but I'm not going to pretend that the way that Oregon recruits nationally, that this may never happen again because it certainly could. 
and you just have to take it case by case. Right, right. I, I like what you brought up. Part of it is when you're recruiting out of East L.A., or, or you're recruiting out of the deep south, and there's there's pockets, there's places that, you know, you're these kids are lucky to just make it out, and yeah. and so you do get some warts and some things that you need to work on. Um, I I also wonder, obviously, I never did anything worth uh, felony charges, uh, so I'm not going to whitewash that and say that that's. I mean, horrible. not that you were you weren't at least caught. Anyways. Right, 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 right. Well, it's like <laughs> I said on my show last night. I I smoked pot when I was in college. Uh, I don't smoke anymore. I don't judge anybody that does, but I, I used to smoke a lot of pot. I never got caught. I never got right. busted. You know, if I did, my life would have been a lot different. And sure. um, you know, so part of me, my heart does feel for the young man and his family because. I remember being that age and being pretty stupid. You know, yeah. you do stupid stuff when you're young. Well, you know, Oregon went through this a little bit with Jalen Hall and obviously the decisions he's made. Um, you know, knowing there was a little bit of character concerns there and, and, and I think ultimately hoping that they were going to be able to lend a hand and maybe pull him out of a bad situation. But it really just goes to show how how impactful, how strong – those outside factors can be. I mean, let's, let's face it. You could be the best kid on the planet. You could be straight laced, but if you're constantly surrounded by outside pressure to do things that you know, aren't, aren't, aren't right, aren't lawful. Mm -hmm. And you're 16, 17 years old. I mean, that's hard. I'm not trying to justify it. Attempted murder is no joke. So I'm certainly not sitting here pleading for folks to feel sorry for Luke Hill, but you know, let's face it, rewind yourself and put yourself in those shoes as a 16, 17, 18 year old. And you just feel bad for the situations that these young men find themselves in more right. so than, hey, you know, let's put sympathy on Luke Hill. It was attempted murder. It's not his fault. Well, hey, I'm just saying put yourself, have some empathy for the situations that occur and maybe not just for Luke Hill specifically, but for lots of young men around the country that, heck, I, I, I'm, I'm, cer I'm certain there's, you know, rosters full of young men uh with amazing talent that just never are able to fulfill it because of some of these types of pressures that they face coming up from the areas they come out of yeah no no doubt i i agree with you wholeheartedly there i i've even seen it just in what little recruiting that i know um also you mentioned hayward field i, I want to talk about that talk about uh the the women's basketball news and um, just just football right now, it, it feels at least to me, my coworkers are all back in their office in Medford. Everybody's working. Everybody's feeling good. Uh, Eugene just reopened. I got friends of mine that got a haircut the other day. Um, how, how optimistic are you feeling about college football season? Um, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about college football season, and I think I've been – pretty consistent with that. I think I've been, you know, pretty optimistic almost from the get go. Um, and it's not to, it's not because I think COVID-19 is a joke. It's not anything like that. I just, you know, everybody I've talked to, you know, Hey, let's sit this thing out for a little bit. Let's take the precautions. But here, you know, here we are originally talking about it, March, April, now May, and still everybody's trying to project to August and September. And I, and I think, We've already seen this thing maybe settle down a little bit as long as there's no, you know, massive spikes moving forward as we reopen things. 
you've got to, I just continue to believe that in some form or fashion, we're going to see football. Now, whether it's a, a restricted amount of fans, whether it's no fans, those will be the changes. Those are the things that I'm unsure of at this point, at least pertaining to the football season. I do, I do believe it will exist. I do believe teams will travel. I do think Oregon versus Ohio State will happen. Um, I just, I don't know. At the end of the day, let's face it, money talks. There's, there's too much outside pressure. The NFL and the NCAA are going to get involved at some point and say, hey, look, here's the deal. This is what we're going to lose in revenue. Mm-hmm. This is the trickle-down effect from this. And I'm not trying to make this about money, but let's just let's just be real here. That's going to be a pretty big motivating factor on how quickly things progress or you know, what kind of parameters they operate with. Uh, and I'd be curious to see, I guess that's going to be the real rub, is how NFL teams or how NCAA or, or, or whichever organization you want to pinpoint how they attack a hey, fans versus no fans at games, because obviously that's a, a big sector of revenue right there alone, not being able to, t- to sell tickets and, you know, food and stuff like that at the, at the uh, uh, you know, the concession stands at the games. Mm-hmm. So th- that'll be the rub to me. I, I still, I, I just fully believe we're going to see a football season, a regular football season, um, it'll just be a, a factor of whether there's fans or not, or however many at, at games, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I, I said on my show last night, we were talking about the NCAA letting players have what they call voluntary athletic activities. So player run practices, basically. Right. Um, a lot of people want to make that a green light towards football season and get really excited. I said, I thought, the barometer for when we would get back to normalcy would be when the NCAA greenlights fall camp and formal practices with coaches and playbooks and all of that. When you think about landmarks uh, on the path towards getting football season, what stands out to you? What's the landmark you're looking for? Well, what stands out to me right off the bat is the fact that just as little, and and think about this, just take this for a second, just as little as two to three weeks ago, there was no freaking chance in hell we were talking about workouts or football returning or anything of that regard. I mean, basically, you know what I mean? Just two, three weeks ago, widespread media, no shot, don't even come in contact, don't, you know, limited Zoom calls for crying out loud. And now here we are just a couple weeks later and we've green greenlit folks for workouts and, and gyms are opening back up and all of these things. And I'm not saying that that's bad or good. I'm simply saying, just look at the progress that's been made in the last two or three weeks. Okay. Um, I, I think if you look at that and obviously if we just take that out another two or three weeks, what are we talking about then? If there's no increase in cases, if things continue to trend the right way, in two, three weeks, we're probably talking about workouts of some kind or, you know, things of that. And I don't, and, and I know we're talking about voluntary. I'm talking about, you know, workouts that, that coaches are able to, you know, enforce and, and, and so maybe it's limited, who knows, but I think we've already hit the major, major benchmark that's already opened the window and said, Hey, look, we're, we're heading this direction unless the wheels fall off the bus, you know, you're probably going to be jumping on board sooner than later. So I think that's the major hurdle. I know we've talked about this before, Matt, and the one thing that comes to my mind is the timeline, the escalated timeline. Yeah, we know that football starts in September, 
but it's not really the that football starting in September. It's the fact that you have fall camp that typically typically starts in early August for almost everybody. Um, and the fact that you basically haven't had any off-season workouts to date for NFL or college football. So there becomes an issue of how much risk you're going to be able to put these young men in. And the risk I speak of isn't related to COVID-19. It's injury risk. Right. These young, these young men are highly tuned athletes. They need to stretch. They need to be in, in, in great physical form. You can't just take them and say, yep, okay, go ahead and start practicing and, and you'll play a game in three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. That won't work. I mean, you can do it, but it's just not safe. And so, you know, really we got to back this thing up instead of saying, hey, we're tar- you know, what's it going to look like between now and September? We need to know what, what it's going to look like between now and mid-July. Right. Because if we don't have a handle on this by early to mid-July and programs and organizations are not, don't have a plan, don't have a calendar, don't have a schedule for to be able to lay out and say, hey, look, you guys show up. We'll do two weeks of OTAs and then we're going to do two weeks of, of, you know, helmet and shoulder pads, you know, whatever the case might be, you've got to, you're going to have to be able to start definitively outlining what these guys can and can't do. And then you're going to be able to adjust the season on that. So it'll be, to me, it'll be interesting to see how far we progress in the next two or three weeks with voluntary workouts returning to, okay, how quickly do we get involved with, you know, a, a return to somewhat normalcy and, and, and mandated workouts and obviously just see how that progression takes place. Who do you think leads those workouts for the, l- l- let's play the hypothetical for Oregon. Who do you think leads those workouts? Well, there's no doubt. It's the, it's the seniors. It's your quarterback. I know Tyler shucks, you know, the, the new guy he's taken over for Justin Herbert, but we've already heard that he's really stepped into that leadership role first and foremost. So, you know, your seniors, uh, for Oregon, here's the great news. You bring you bring guys back like Thomas Graham and Diamador Lenore and Brady Breeze and, you know, guys that are seniors, guys that, you know, Jordan Scott, guys that might have had a chance at being drafted in the NFL and decided to come back. Well, those guys are freaking hungry. They didn't come back so that they could be mediocre and win five or six games. You know, they came back because they want to win the Pac-12. They want to go farther than that. And they want to be great. So uh, for Oregon, having those types of guys come back, um, you know, having Tyler Shuck, who's a bit of a natural born leader back there, all of those things. I think you've got some some great things, you know, working in your favor. You got a guy like Panay Sewell, too. Let's face it. He's about to be a junior. Javon Holland's about to be a junior. I got a pretty strong feeling that's the last year we're going to see them in an Oregon uniform. Those guys have something to play for, too. Uh, You know, those are the guys that are going to be hungry. It doesn't mean the rest of the guys aren't hungry. But if you can get a good handful of a half dozen to a dozen guys, that kind of has that trickle down effect. Those six to 12 guys, you know, will pull in another two or three guys each. And next thing you know, you got 30 or 40 guys that are basically calling out the rest of the team saying, hey, get your ass to practice. You know, we're practicing. We're going hard. We're getting ready. Um, I think for Mario Cristobal, the biggest thing, and we've heard him preach about it over and over and over and over, is culture. And when you set that culture in place, the rest kind of takes itself. And so you've set that culture for those seniors and those upperclassmen that know what it takes to win a Rose Bowl now, that knows how much you know uh, sweat equity you've got to put in to be a contender. Those are going to be the guys that get that to trickle down. I mean, it's going to be a, a peer pressure sort of a thing where, hey, if you're not out here, you know, you're out there floating on an island. We're, we're not going to be 
bringing you back in. So um, you got to earn it. And, and again, those are the guys that really are going to be, you know, the most valuable pieces to Oregon right now, kind of getting everybody at, at least back on campus and, 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 uh, and in some, in some form of shape, if you will. How different is the culture now versus the culture, say, the last Helfrich year? Yeah, I mean, it, you, you can't do a bigger 180. And, um, you know, this isn't where I dig on, on Helfrich, but it, it wasn't a strong point. Building and establishing a culture inside the locker room was not a strong point. Is he a tremendous offensive X's and O's guys? No question. No question. Nicest guy on the planet. You'd love to have Mo for dinner and pick his brain. I don't question all those things about Mark Helfrich, but building a culture and establishing a culture, uh, a winning culture, wasn't wasn't his deal. It just wasn't his strength. Um, and I just I don't think you can see a bigger difference. I think if we were looking at this and Mark Helfrich was the head coach, I'd have very serious concerns about about what shape and what kind of Oregon team we would see this fall. With Mario Cristobal, I have no questions. I have no questions because I, I'll tell you this, the guys that aren't ready and aren't, aren't, aren't bought in are going to get left behind and left behind in a hurry. And they're either going to transfer out or they're going to figure it out that they need to pick their shit up and get going. It's going to be that quick. And then you bring Mario Cristobal and his staff back in. They're going to immediately identify who's been in putting in the work, who's in shape, who's been pushing themselves, who's been sticking to the diet. They're going to see within the first 60 seconds of laying eyes on those players who and who hasn't bought in. And again, that's just going to put those guys who haven't farther behind. So um, you got a guy like, let's just say, uh, a Noah Sewell, for example, or a Justin Flo or a Dante Manning, these highly decorated recruits out of high school. If they haven't been pushing themselves, getting ready to take that next step into major college football, it's going to be apparent. And those are the types of guys that are where they're at because they've worked really hard to get there now in high school. I would imagine they've continued that into college. It probably helps Noah, you know, that he has Panay around pushing him as well. But you get my point. I, I think I think you just can't – I don't know about you, but I have total confidence that this team will be as ready as any team in the Pac-12 right. uh, come opening day. I just – I don't have a doubt about that. Yeah. I, I agree with you. You know, it, it really just takes it full circle. Everything we've been talking about for months, I think – there's there's still the unknowns of camp and and health and all of that, but just on its face, that's the best defense in the Pac-12, and the offense can be really 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 good if Tyler Shuck is really good, and that that's the only question mark for me. Everybody says yeah. he's good, everything looks like he's going to be good. I just don't know yet. Right? No, we don't know. No, and and I'm not ready to. You know, I've heard really great things about how he looked in uh, in in the four practices they had. I've I've heard great things, but I'm like you. I'd like to see it from my own eyes. I would have loved to see him at a spring game, even if it was just one good quarter. Uh, you know, it would have been nice to see him lead a couple. You know, lead a couple drives and and just kind of his feel for the offense. But again, I think one of the biggest differences is I know Oregon is changing offenses. I don't think it's going to be a wholesale change. So it doesn't, you know, I don't think people need to jump off a bridge and say, Oh, Oregon's changing offensive coordinators. They're screwed. They haven't been able to practice. Well, yeah, they did change offensive coordinators, but I I don't think Joe Moorhead's coming in here and saying, we got to change everything. We're going to fix a little bit over here. We're going to fix a little bit here, tweak here. And honestly, it might just come down to as simple as play calling and flow 
in terms of, of how well he's able to move that offense. And yeah, Tyler Shuck definitely has to be the guy and has to lead them. The offensive line's really going to need to be able to pick it up fairly quickly. But again, I, I think, I don't think Oregon has the most talented offense in the Pac-12, but I certainly think that they have an offense capable of winning a lot of football games. And there's no doubt in my mind, absolutely no doubt in my mind, Oregon has the best defense in the conference and probably one of the top defenses nationally. Yeah. Yeah, that defense is going to be scary fun to watch this year. Um, I I feel pretty good on football. Uh, only a couple other topics to hit on today. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with football? Um, I mean, in terms of football, you know, just recruiting, just the, the fact that, you know, something that you and I have talked about at length and something I've talked about on Scoop Duck at length, you know, give it time. People were starting to panic in, in, in early April to mid-April, um, you know, heading into late April. And again, all that time was lost for Oregon, could host recruits on campus for spring practices, uh, for the spring game, all these things that Oregon really, really circles on the recruiting calendar as uh, sell days, if you will were lost. And I think we've seen Oregon pick up the slack in tremendous fashion. Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal landing a couple of four-star offensive linemen in Bram Walden and Jonah Miller. You couple those two guys now with Jackson Light. You got three guys already. Worst case, if you only wanted to sign one more guy in this class, worst case, that's going to be pretty easy pickings for Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal as we're only in May. More than likely, they'll probably sign two guys if I had to guess. But you've done a, a lot of the major work now, and you're taking guys that USC wanted, uh, Washington wanted, Arizona, everybody wanted them. So you're getting great quality offensive linemen, uh, you know. There, I, I just I think the way that Oregon has positioned themselves with some of these very elite recruits, uh, Adante Thornton comes to mind. Uh, Troy Franklin, Brock Bauer, some of these guys that are really starting to mention Oregon a lot. You know, something that I'd said before, hey, Oregon's going big game fishing here. They're not, they're not, they're not out there chumming and trying to catch a tr 10 trout in a day. They're out there big game fishing. And I think you're really seeing their efforts and their relationship building paying off. And again, I got to go back to something that I've talked recruiting one-on-one. Most of these big name, guy, big name guys aren't going to commit early. Some will. A lot of those guys will end up decommitting. See Corey Foreman if they commit too early in the process. Your big name guys don't tend to commit too early in the process. They tend to wait and take a little bit more time, uh, take some more visits. They're not in a rush. They're not going to lose a spot. They're in a different, different. They're in a different situation than a, you know, low four star, high three star guy that might be a, a maybe take for an Ohio State or an Oregon or an Alabama those guys might be looking to push and, and lock in a spot a little sooner than later because they'll get passed over for that high four-star or five-star or whatever the case might be. So, you know, Oregon fans just needed to kind of stay patient. I feel like they've kind of settled out a little bit here. You've got four-star tight end Maliki Matavao committing uh, in a week. Next week on the 27th, he commits. Oregon looks like the team to beat heading into that. Uh, I know Penn State is a serious factor there, but a couple things working against Penn State. Oregon was his last visit in the spring, essentially one of his only visits in the spring. He has not visited Penn State. Secondly, the offense that Penn State's selling him, you know, Jacecki going as a tight end to the NFL, these other things, that's a Joe Moorhead offense. So now Oregon's obviously got that in their corner, kind of saying, hey, if you love that offense, guess what? 
you know, we're, we're do we've got that out here too. So, um, I think you got a number of things going in Oregon's favor and then, you know, let's not forget the most important one distance, you know, Oregon's got distance on its side. Uh, you've got a young man, uh, from the state of Nevada, Oregon's obviously a lot closer than Pennsylvania is to Nevada. So you've got that working in your favor. But again, I just think the recruiting is trending the right direction. And even if Oregon only gets a commit in May or maybe two, or it's not any, who knows? I mean, through the rest of May and into June, I think they've done enough and kind of planted the seed well enough with these top guys that this should be a really, really fun finish and a, and a pretty amazing class for Oregon top to bottom. I like the sound of that. So before we wrap, you mentioned the really cool Hayward Field design that has made the rounds on social media. Talking track for a minute. How cool is that? Night track. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I guess I don't follow track close enough to know this answer, but I'm not sure that there's any facility like that in the world from a track perspective. Right. And, you know, to have that in Eugene – you know, one of the things that, that immediately caught my eye was, uh, you know, just at least on Twitter, you know, a guy like Bryce Foster, you know, an elite offensive lineman, five-star offensive lineman that Oregon's in the running for. He sees that, retweets it like, oh, my goodness, look at this. And he's a guy that's considering doing events in track and field. Um, he's not a runner, obviously, but he's looking at doing events in track and field, sees that. And what a powerful recruiting tool, you know, that is for Oregon football. And that is, once again, a young man that's looking at doing both football and track and field in college. Uh, you know, those are the types of the things that really ultimately uh, add value, additional value to your football team. And I know I circled that back to football. I'm not really meaning to. But, again, that's just where the value comes off. And then, you know, you're going to have the Olympic trials and these other things that are, that are brought to Eugene um, when, when those types of things are, are allowed once again. And that's just – what an asset for the city of Eugene. That's revenue for the city of Eugene. That's just, right. I mean, it's just one of the things I did a podcast. This was prior to you and me. It was at my previous stop, but I did a podcast and I had Ed Orgeron on, and this was in between when Ed was no longer coaching at USC and was kind of in limbo waiting for the next gig. Obviously he ultimately landed at LSU into a favorable situation there. But in that interim time, had Ed Orgeron on, and he was he had been down at USC, recruited against Oregon, knew the Pac-12, and one of the one of the things he he raved about, just absolutely raved about, is how well the University of Oregon and Oregon football had branded themselves. And you, you kind of hear it there here and there, but to hear him say that and to really single that out, to me, really makes a huge impact on how much effort Oregon has put into branding its own empire. And we see that nationally, you know, you see Oregon that is able as a football team to recruit nationally. Not many schools in the PAC 12 can do it at that level and to be able to recruit internationally. You know, we've seen Kelly Graves be able to pull in international recruits and come and play basketball for him at the university of Oregon. This is once again, an opportunity for Oregon to continue branding itself on a very big international scale in my mind. And again, when you start building that kind of branding, it not, I, I know we talk about Phil Knight being the mega donor and his money and, and, and what happens when Phil Knight goes, but right. 
when you've done what Oregon's done and branded itself as a university similar to Nike, Nike obviously tremendously uh, popular with branding, I just see that this is another huge, huge benefit of a university that's uh, you know continued carrying on that brand and really set itself for long-term sustained success. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And and you bring up Phil Knight. To me, the Oregon brand isn't Phil Knight. Obviously, he's contributed. Obviously, he's played a part in that. To me, the brand is this. Every university has student-athletes, but Oregon really has student-athletes. You have guys that run track. You have guys that you know, have that, that track mindset, you have that cross country, long distance running tradition. You have something, I think, pure. Um, and, and the, the Hayward field renovation really gets to the heart of that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, I mean, what a, what an amazing facility, the thought and, 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 you know, you, you, you think back and it was just, a handful of years ago, you think about the Hatfield Dallin complex that's being built and you think, Oh my goodness, we've never seen anything like it in its time. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's next generation. And then, and then, and now you go and look at this, you know, track and field center being built and it's like next generation ahead of its time. It's just amazing how much, you know, effort and detail is put into these types of things. And and just, man, that, that, uh, that campus has definitely transformed over the last uh, decade or so. Yeah. Yeah, that even puts it in perspective. I mean, I, I'm 28. I remember uh, visiting Eugene a couple of times and driving through that campus and just drove through it again this past year for um, high school basketball season. We had, uh, we had a game to cover out at uh, South Eugene, which is right near the university, and I couldn't believe how different the University of Oregon is now. It's so different. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's being built the right way and it's, it's going, you know, hand in hand with the success of, of, you know, of men's basketball, women's basketball, softball, baseball, football, all of these things are, are being elevated. Um, and, and all these, you know, all the buildings, everything's going along with it and, and really just making, you know, Oregon, uh, a bit of an empire, if you will. Yeah. Okay. So talked football, talked Hayward field. Um, did you see that Kelly got another, kick-ass women's basketball signing yeah you know he just i guess he just kind of keeps picking and choosing what he wants anywhere he wants you know (laughs) sharpshooters the girls that can dunk i mean he's i mean we joke about you know uh yukon becoming oregon of the east but man it's he is certainly putting together a dynasty out here and and i i gotta think with what he's doing there's absolutely no way oregon lets kelly graves slip away from them anytime soon at least i hope not yeah, I'd be stunned. All right. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Just had an email there. Yeah, I'd be I'd be stunned. I I think you have a guy that has West Coast roots. He was at St. Mary's in the Bay Area. Then he goes to Gonzaga. Then he goes to Oregon, and you have a guy that has figured out how to recruit the apex of, of elite talent in women's basketball. I, I've seen it firsthand. I've heard stories from high school coaches in the state that know Kelly and talk to Kelly and stories from people close to Kelly that he pretty much has his pick. It's all five stars. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's not, uh, I don't, I don't think we're going to ever see him scrambling late in the cycle to, uh, to sign girls. He no. seems to have his hand on the pulse of, of who he wants. And, and, and to his credit, who fits what he's trying to do? You know, it's, it's one thing to go and just, you know, look at a top 10 list and say, okay, I need five out of this top 10 list and, and go for them. You know, I, th- I, I'm sure he does that to a degree, but you're also finding girls that, you know, fit what your system and, and how you want to play your style of play and complement each other. And, and again, I, you know, I just think he, it's, it's pretty amazing to see the transformation of women's basketball, um, you know, at Oregon under Kelly Graves. And I guess it's somewhat equally similar, you know, exciting to see that transformation with football under Mario Cristobal as well. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we touched on every base we need to today. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that runs the gamut. Um, you know, here it is Thursday. I just finished my, uh, my run to Costco and they were nice enough to give me a mask to wear in their shopping, but did a big Costco trip and trying to get ready for this uh, Memorial day weekend. I hope everybody's going to get to do some. I think that's part partially why, you know, you asked about, Hey, you want to bang out a quick podcast? And I thought, well, yeah, because I hope folks are able to maybe go somewhere this weekend or go for a drive or who knows. I figured they might want uh, the soothing sounds of you and I on the, on, on their listening device for a little bit at right, least. But, uh, right. But yeah, I'm just, I don't know about you. I'm gearing up for Memorial day weekend. I'm pretty excited about that. I think I'm going to head to Shasta for a couple of days and, mm. and, and see, see about a houseboat. So, uh, did my big Costco trip today, and then I'll try and get ready for that tomorrow. My dad used to do that all the time. Uh, grew up in Reading, so that was that was how he spent his twenties. Yeah, I, uh, you know, coming out of coming out of high school, uh, the early early twenties, I there was not many Memorial Day weekends. I I did not get a houseboat with some, with a bunch of buddies and get to Shasta and have a really really good time. Now that I'm in my 40s, it'll be a totally different trip. I'm ex- equally excited to go down, but I won't be going to the big islands where all the college boats come together and everybody parties till the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> I'll, I'll be finding a nice quiet cove and listening to some music and having a beer and, and enjoying the peace and quiet on the lake. I'm, I'm, I, haven't, I have not been able to do anything on Memorial Day weekend for, I don't know, 15 years or so because my kids are always in the the Rogue Memorial Challenge down at the soccer tournament. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and it's obviously yeah. it's not happening this year. So this is like the first year that uh, that I've had the weekend to go do something. And I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm very excited. It's supposed to be like 93 degrees down there too. So I'm pretty dang excited about it. What are you drinking this weekend? Uh, so I mean, I went to Costco. I mean, here's the deal: if I want to be on a houseboat, I don't have to worry about driving. I don't have to worry about getting anywhere. So I I just bought. Uh, Two twenty-four packs of Modelo, hmm. so nice. I love I love uh, the Modelo Dark, but nice and easy to drink. You can drink those all day long and still be able to function. Um, I, I will bring some other nice craft beer, maybe like my Nightcappers down with me as well. But that's going to be probably my uh, my day long drinker is going to be some Modelos down there. Um, squirt a little lime juice in there and call it a day. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about that. Hmm. Heaven on my, earth right there. Oh yeah. I don't know if, I mean, I don't know how many people that have listening have done a houseboat trip to Shasta. They're expensive. They're not cheap. Don't get me wrong, but such a blast. If you, and, and we're getting to take all five kids down. We're going to, I'm really excited. The kids are 
kids are absolutely amped for it too so i'm pretty excited yeah sounds like some sun and fun plenty of good beer as well good memorial day weekend uh i hope you all have a good memorial day weekend like justin was saying hope you listen to us hope you enjoy our sweet dulcet tones that's gonna make me laugh (laughs) for for a week thinking about that and uh you know, I, I say this, we'll, we'll leave on this parting note. I know there's a lot of, of veterans and a lot of active duty that read Scoop Duck, and I've been blessed to, to read and know some of your stories through the site. And uh, just thank you for what you've done and, and the sacrifices that you've made. And hope you enjoy a great Memorial Day weekend. Uh, that's it, everybody. Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins, we'll be back next week talking ducks. Thanks for listening. Go Ducks! I can do this now.